Welcome to the In The Clouds podcast. In The Clouds is a marketing cloud podcast powered by Lev, the most influential marketing-focused Salesforce consultancy in the world. Lev is customer experience obsessed, and podcast hosts Bobby Tishy and Cole Fisher have partnered with some of the world's most well-known brands to help them master meaningful one-on-one connections with their customers. In this podcast, they'll combine strategy and deep technical expertise to share best practices, how-tos, and real-life use cases and solutions for the world's top brands using Salesforce products today. Welcome to In the Clouds podcast. This is Bobby Tishy along with Cole Fisher. And today we're continuing in uh, our series on recapping some of the keynote speakers from Ultraviolet Love's First uh, User Conference back in April of 2021. And today we uh, uh, have our conversation with Desiree Rogers, um, along with Rachel, who is an account director on the Love team. And I'm talking through uh, just her Desiree's experiences, what she's found in her success, um, as well as what it really means to not only um, make marketing work in a digital and global age, but um, how to foster a positive, inclusive work environment. There are a number of different topics um, and pieces that Rachel and Desiree touched on. Yeah, and Desiree's got a really cool background of just kind of everything from you know multifaceted marketing, uh, former CEO, publishing company, um, being on the uh, Obama campaign as a social secretary. Uh, so she's really have a, has a lot of cool stories of where she's been and a really interesting take on things like culture. For sure. So I hope you guys enjoy this conversation with Desiree Rogers and Rachel Gilliam. Hi, everyone. I am so excited for our next keynote session with Desiree Rogers. Welcome, Desiree. How are you? I'm great. How are you guys? How's the day been? The day's been amazing. Oh, my goodness. I have fortunately been a part of the steering committee for Ultraviolet. So it's been really cool to see more of the behind the scenes. And even still, it has like blown away all of my expectations. So very, very wonderful. Well, let's see if we can make it even better. (laughs) Yes, let's do it. Um, I'll quickly introduce myself. And then I would love to pass it over to you because I know I've got a lot of good questions to dive into today. So I'm Rachel Gilliam. I'm an account director at Lev. I've been with the company for a little bit over a year now, which is crazy. Um, Professionally, I'm super passionate about helping my clients to level up in their Salesforce ecosystems and getting the most out of their Salesforce investment, but also their investment with Love. Personally, I am the founder of Unapologetic Womanhood, which is an organization that is really dedicated to helping to elevate the voices of Black women in entrepreneurship and wellness spaces. So on all levels, I'm very excited for this conversation with you today because I know that we share a lot of the same passions. Yes, we do. Yes, I'm going to quickly read your bio, which I know will not do you justice, and then I'm going to pass it over to you so you can go through your story as well. Um, But Desiree Rogers, you are an influential, results-oriented business leader as the first Black CEO and co-owner of Black Opal Beauty and a former CEO of Johnson Publishing Company and Fashion Fair Cosmetics. Rogers is known for her uncanny business acumen and innovative approach to marketing and brand development. Beyond her experience in the private sector, Rogers was appointed by President Obama as White House Social Secretary, repositioning the White House as the People's House and implementing innovative events. So even though that is stacked with so many amazing things, I feel like it just scratches the surface of who you are. So I'd love for you to take a few moments to introduce yourself in more detail. 
Certainly. First of all, I am just delighted to have this opportunity and I'm hopeful that we can have a really meaningful and juicy discussion, uh, less about me, but maybe more about some lessons I've learned. And hopefully I can share some good information with you guys. Um, I know that most of the audience is our marketeers. And so I'm excited um, about that. But just a me in a nutshell, um, I've spent um, quite a bit of my career jumping industries, which, you know, plenty of people have asked, you know, how could you be involved with the lottery, the White House? Um, I worked at Allstate. I worked at AT&T. I ran a utility here. And so my work has really been across multiple industries. And so I'm not afraid of any, any industry, I'm proud to say. And if you think, if I take a step back, um, I have worked in corporate. I've worked for a governor. I've worked for a mayor running tourism here in Chicago, and then I've also worked for a president. So I've seen a lot in the time that I have spent in my career across a lot of different, um, both governmental agencies, but also corporate. Um, but most of my work is really centered on the consumer. And so the one clear line across all of my work has really been this dedication to increasing uh, the experience, making the experience the best experience it can be, you know, having uh, products really overperform and excite consumers. So that's really what I've been focused on, and in particular, more mature businesses. When you think about the lottery, it's been around a long time. How does that get repositioned? You think about a gas utility that, you know, people love to hate the gas utility because they don't want their prices to go up. But how could we make that that organization serve the citizens of Chicago and the North Shore a bit better? And then you think about the White House. Well, certainly the presidency has been around for a long time. How does an experience at the White House um, become a different kind of experience and really excite those visitors beyond meeting the president and first lady? And you probably say, well, there's nothing beyond that. But you know what? There really is if you're a true market chair. And so I've looked at historical businesses, places, et cetera, and tried to make them fresh and fresh and new. And that's really what I think I bring to the table is this customer centric at every level, no detail too small to look at from the customer's eyes. Uh, as an account director, that is music to my ears because I am always focused on the customer and trying to push my clients to the same. That's actually a really good segue into my first question that I have for you is how do you start to approach coming into a new business with the intention of shaking things up or making companies think more about the customer versus their own business objectives while keeping an eye on the business overall? Well, I think one a very wise person said to me once, never talk about shaking anything up. And so that's the first thing. You got to be a little bit stealth in how you think about things and, and you don't want to scare people. And so I think early in my career, maybe I would scare people and say, we're going to change everything, everything that looks like it needs to be changed, especially when I would go in and I might see so many opportunities for improvement or so many opportunities to really create a, a more clo a closer relationship with a consumer. So now here I am a little bit more mature. And so the first thing I think that's really important is to study, study, and study. What does that mean? It means who is the culture and who is expert in that culture, you know, in what they do? Who's really respected as I go into a new business? Who's really respected there and successful? respected by their peers, you know, and it doesn't really matter what level that person is at. You know, many times they start you in some kind of transition. You got to meet with this department, this department, this department head. But sometimes it's important to get a little bit lower in those organizations to see what is really going on and who might have different ideas. The other thing I think that is important is really what I call the gray hairs of which 
I am not one today, but I do have a few gray hairs, mm-hmm. is this whole idea of not just throwing out all the past. It's important to gain lessons from the past, and it's important to have people around that have seen that business go through many cycles, and that you mix that up with maybe some people that haven't been there you know, as long that can add new ideas, but you have to have mutual respect um, for, for both sides, particularly in really large organizations. And I found that at my time at the insurance company, Allstate. Um, and sometimes it's in places that you never think to look. So don't be afraid to investigate or ask questions in a different department than maybe you might normally be sent to, for example, operations. Operations has a lot of intel about the interaction of a company with their consumers. And there's certain little small things that you might not think about. And operations may not be thinking about it the same way you're thinking about it because they're trying to get a product out or really are focused on, you know, their timelines and what they're trying to do and not really understanding how some of that might impact the customer. The next thing is really listen, listen, listen. You know, what does that mean? You know, you're looking for that opportunity really to get ahead of the competition and you want to become how do you become best in class You know, how might that be different than how others are doing that work? And so I tend to study, 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 then listen, 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 and then ask lots of informed questions in any new position I'm in. And a couple of examples, when I was at the lottery, which was just a really interesting position, but no one understood why I wanted to go to all the retailers, why I wanted to go to the 7-Eleven store or the drug, you know, the various places we were selling lottery tickets. Well, a big idea came out of that in that we switched how we were distributing instant tickets to the lottery retailers. They really had a, an idea about what instant tickets might sell best in their neighborhoods. And it might be different from the, the store across town. And so we did tell them we created telemarketing and let them pick the tickets that they wanted to have at their stores, as opposed to us just sending in the same tickets to everybody. And it gave them a sense of uh, feeling a part of the process, but it also helped us to understand what their customers were, were doing. And we were able to generate sales from, move sales from 300 million to 600 million. So it does pay to really listen to the people that are on the ground and on the floor. And I've got lots of examples of that. I won't go through them all, but I think those are some of the key the key things. Then you're able to build a good strategy, create the partnerships that you need, and work on that internal team that you need to drive the business for further and to, to really create some real growth. Yeah. So biggest takeaways there, definitely doing your homework and studying and leaning in and not trying to always be the loudest voice in the room, but probably just the most open ear so you can hear what really needs to happen. Right. And, and then take some time to make some decisions and testing's okay. You're going to make some mistakes. Sometimes we We get so much information, we don't know which way to go. We can't make a decision. We get frozen. And so you have to be careful of that. And you have to realize that, you know, there may be some instances where it's not perfect the first time, but you can refine and adjust and keep going. Yeah, absolutely. Well, obviously, you're incredibly accomplished, but accomplishment doesn't come without hardships or setbacks, especially for women of color or more specifically a black woman in high profile leadership positions. So I'm curious, what has your experience been like going from college graduate to this path to CEO of several companies? Sure. Well, I don't believe in the word setbacks. And I know that might sound like, uh, how can she say that? (laughs) But I do believe that there are instances where things didn't go my way. 
and that perhaps I could have done a little bit better in, 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 in those particular instances. But my mother says, as long as you live, there'll be opportunities for uh, change uh, where things don't quite go your, your way. And so you've got to be nimble and you've got to be able to put that in the proper perspective, always learning, always taking those lessons with you, but never operating in a way that you're not going to stumble. You know, but if you're so careful, then you, you, you know, you're really like, what are you doing? And so you've got to be prepared that sometimes things are just not going to go your way. I refuse to use that F word too. So here are, um, which is failure. Um, so the, the couple of things um, I can remember um, pretty early on in my career when I was at the gas utility that, you know, I was really trying to, I wasn't uh, president of the company yet. I was working my way up and I was really trying, you know, someone coming from marketing and coming from corporate communications, I was really trying to develop a relationship with the operations side of the house because of course they're delivering the service. And there was a huge meeting for, with a, a labor union and it was snowing outside and it was snowing outside and it was snowing outside and they just kept there was really nothing else to talk about, but they kept extending the meeting. Mm-hmm. They just kept extending it. And after about three hours, I realized they were doing this because I was very far from where I lived in the city. And they were doing that really to test me to see if I was going to stop the meeting so that I could get home. I didn't. It took me five and a half hours to get home. Wow. Um, but I, I thought of that as just, gosh, is that the kind of trust we have? You know, how are we going to build trust here? How am I going to build a, a situation that ultimately, you know, I want to run the operations area as the, as the president. And so I really need these guys on my side. And so even though it was a, a really a scary evening for me, um, it showed them that I wasn't going to be broken. It showed them that I wasn't like kind of this weak management person that was going to be like, oh, my God, I've got what am I going to do? I'm going to be stuck out here. And it sounds like the most ridiculous, simplest thing. But I'm telling you, I got a lot of respect after that meeting in that I I just went on and, and just sucked it up and figured I'd get home some way, somehow probably the most public and again, um, lesson I'll call it for me was the, the white house and the breach of secret service into that white house. And so many people know me through that. Some, some don't, but you can Google it and you'll see, but I left shortly after there was a breach, um, into the white house by a couple coming into the state dinner. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I took that really hard because as a person that always wants to win, and I consider myself a perfectionist and certainly on something like this, dotting all the I's, crossing all the T's, security is at the top of your list. And, you know, again, these people got in and I kicked myself because I looked at the couple and I'm like, all right, who are they? I don't remember them, you know, on the list, but there were so many changes at the last minute. I didn't want to embarrass a guest. So I did not I didn't push it. And we had a lot of protocols, you know, people, all of us could have caught this. But for me, the lesson was, is that even if you're right, sometimes, even if you think you think you've made the right decision, sometimes your right is still wrong. Mm -hmm. And so you, you can't take this personally. You can just, you know, figure out when you're working in government, you're, you know, the, the leader is always going to be right. Whether that is a governor or a mayor or a, um, you know, or a president, you're there to serve. And so you, you just have to understand that and, and be okay with that. And so uh, my biggest takeaway from all of that is, you know, 
you know, it took me a long time to to kind of come to this conclusion that, you know, even time, even though, you know, maybe it wasn't every something I did, you've got to be a grown woman enough, whatever you want to call it, to accept what comes with these positions and and be able to put them in their proper perspective and, and move on. Yeah, I have a follow-up question to that. I know we have an audience full of marketers who are probably also perfectionists. Um, so how do you take these, we won't call them setbacks, but lessons, and when you're feeling like you just want to beat yourself up for something or what could have been um, seen as a mistake, and how do you start to channel that into a lesson and start to apply that to future endeavors as well? I think one of the first things for me is is don't let people tell you what the lesson is hmm. or, or tell you you should have learned a lesson from that. You have to learn and and put it in your own perspective. And we all learn differently. And it really resonates when you can internalize it and you can see kind of, okay, this is what I was supposed to take away from this. This is what I was supposed to learn from that. And so sometimes we allow ourselves to be paralyzed by by a mistake and our, you know, what a, a moment where you learn something. And I just feel like it's important to put that in the proper perspective. And so that's one thing. The second thing is to really understand what did you really learn? And sometimes it takes people that know you well to walk you through that and talk you through that. And sometimes it takes you years to really understand, like, what was I really supposed to get out of that? I do believe that everything you experience in life is for a reason and that it is going, you may not see it today, but at some point in time, you're going to reach into, I call it my little tool chest. You're going to reach into your little tool chest and you're going to remember something and you're going to say, ah, I'm not going to do that again. I think the real response here is A, B, C, and D, you know, based on the experience that I've had with something. And so the other thing is, is not to get angry with yourself. You know, it's so easy to be upset with yourself and angry. Sometimes you do have to apologize and that's completely natural. You know, but then at other, you know, at at a certain point, you have to put it away so that you can move forward and get on with it. You know, and and that's really what we're all here is we're all human beings. Everyone's going to make a mistake. I like to think of people I really admire making mistakes. That somehow just like makes me feel better. (laughs) I, you know, not wishing them poorly, but, you know, it just all of us are going to make mistakes. And so you just really have to put it in its proper perspective and move on because the last thing you want to be is paralyzed mm-hmm. or have that mistake hold you from your true greatness. We all have a true greatness. It's just, it's like a puzzle. You have to find it. Yeah. And sometimes you get the wrong pieces in the wrong place. But ultimately, if you're brave enough to remove those pieces and start again, you're going to be just fine. I love that. Now, you've had a lot of firsts in your careers, so I know we've talked about some lessons, but I'm also curious, what are some of your accomplishments that you're most proud of? You know, I think that the work I'm doing today, I'm most proud of, and I'm in the middle of it. And why do I say that? I really think that there is a gap in terms of the expenditure that women of color, and if people don't know, I run two, I run two, own two cosmetics company companies, running one called Black Opal, which is sold at Walmart, CVS, Rite Aid, Ulta, and Target.com. And then we're launching a second one uh, in September. Both of these cosmetics companies 
have been around for a very long time servicing women of color. So let me just say that. The work that I feel that I'm doing is beyond makeup. We all know that there are gaps in the marketplace if you are a woman of color, where it's still hard to find makeup that is suited to the needs, um, your needs or what you need, whether it's a color or a skin treatment or, or something like that. And so I'm really confident that my business partner and I are going to be able to to be best in class um, in providing not only that makeup, but the type of experience that women of color are looking looking for. But more importantly than that is really this whole idea of support and beauty is from within. And you can you can do whatever you want with your makeup and, and skincare regimen. Um, and on top of that, we really feel like it's important that we create partnerships um, with people and women of color. And so many of and most of the uh, suppliers that we're using and our partners are women that are running their own businesses or minorities that are running their own businesses from legal to product development to um, public relations. And as we scale, they'll be able to scale. And so I am hopeful that we will be able to create some powerhouse companies inside of an industry where many times uh, we've been closed out of that industry on sitting on the other side, the business side of the table, even though we spend an enormous amount of money in that industry. And I'm also confident that I may be able to create a few millionaires on the way. And so we are very excited about the people um, that we've hired to, to work with us on the business and also super excited about the partners that we've been able to, to bring into the business as we build this, these companies. That's amazing, especially thinking about just the history that you've had in different organizations to know that the things that you're most proud of are still happening today. That's inspiring for me to know that some of the best days are definitely still ahead. Yes, you want them to be ahead. Yeah. You use all that knowledge that you gain and then you, like I said, put it in your tool chest. You never know when it may be handy. You know, keep that toolbox open and keep stuffing things in there because you're going to need them at some point in time. Mm-hmm. So you're often brought into businesses to offer a fresh perspective. So as a business leader, and knowing that we've got an audience full of marketers, when you're coming into an organization, what do you look to marketing leaders or your marketing organization to bring to the table when you're thinking about revitalizing a business? Well, first of all, if anyone's out there, we're hiring in the marketing area. <laughs> so that's the first thing I'll say. But here's here's to be, to be you know completely um, to focus and, and answer the question. Um, leadership, you know, and you say, oh, okay, all right. Curiosity, which sometimes is hard to to find. You know, people get are getting less and less curious as they worry and fear about the future. And so, curiosity is really important to me. Excitement. I want my marketeers to be excited, to be exciting. I want to be uh, enthusiastic about working with them and hearing their ideas and seeing what they're bringing. You know, bringing to the table. Consumer focused for sure. Mm-hmm. Boundless energy for sure. You know, and and only informed fear, informed fear. You're the marketeer is the one bringing the ideas and bringing kind of the future. And have you thought about this? And have you looked at this? And this is what consumers are saying. This is what your competition is doing. You know, how do we fit in there? Outspoken. You know, we don't need a quiet marketeer. We need someone that is going to speak up. Also, obviously, intelligent. They have to know their business. So I would be saying a couple of things. Be informed. There's so much information out there. 
How are you gathering that information and making it work for you and your team? Sharing is important. You don't know where the next idea is going to come from. And so, and there's so many tools out there like Slack and others that it's important that everyone kind of see what's happening because you just don't know what that's going to trigger in someone in your organization. And so, and you've got to be quick, which is another reason why I like all the information sharing tools, because everyone kind of sees it at the same time. It's not first it goes to this level, then it has to go to this level, and then it gets to, well, how much time has gone by while you're working through all of that? It's internal work. So who cares to some extent, you know, if it's not perfect, it's not ready to, it's a, it's a work in progress is the way I like to think about things. Then, you know, have you taken a look at your mission statement and your brand statement lately? You know, people are like, oh, what is that? It's so important. You know, does it still make sense? Do you understand it? Can you get behind it? Can your team get behind it? And most importantly, does it resonate with your consumers? Mm-hmm. Who are the partners that you're helping to bring? Who are your partners that are helping to bring this to life? You know, have you put some timelines in place, you know, to make certain that you're measuring and then how are you measuring that pro- progress? You know, what does success mean to you and your team? And how is that different from the competitors? You know, my brother often says to me, you know, Desiree, that's a great idea, but, you know, can you sell it? Does anybody want it? You know, you know, and so are you getting across to, to those consumers? You know, are you taking market share? Are you true to your brand mission? Everyone's a smart consumer nowadays. Everyone's doing their research on products and services. And so you've just got to understand and look at it from the eyes of the uh, of the consumer. And so I do things like Google and look up, you know, women of color makeup, makeup for black women, makeup for ethnic women. What's coming up? What are they seeing if they're a consumer? You know, how can I be at the top of that list? You know, what are people saying about ethnic makeup today? And so you can't be in your little bubble because nobody's in a bubble. Everyone's Googling everything or looking it up or on Facebook or asking the question. And so you got to keep your mindset open, be really clear about what you bring to the table, what you bring to that consumer, how you're different from that competitor and make it easy for them to access and make sure certain the price is right. Yeah, absolutely. And I love what you mentioned too about curiosity and keeping your mind open. That's something that Michael, our CEO, always challenges with, challenges us with. And um, when I was even interviewing for Lev, I was told that Lev really only hires very curious people. And so to ask questions and to bring a fresh perspective to things and not just think that this is the way it's always done. So that's the way it's always going to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Change things and think outside of our bubble, like you said. Yeah, no, I think that's so important because everyday people are doing that. You know, pandemic has made all of us think in a whole nother way, you know, about how maybe we thought we would shop, how we would live, how we would entertain ourselves, what our homes meant to us, what homeschooling meant to us, what the experience with us and our mate meant. So we've all had a little bit of practice now, forced practice on what happens when your world gets turned upside down and you have to reevaluate and rethink about how you're living every day. So now's the time to get in there with those new ideas. Yes. I mean, I even think about tonight, we're hosting the virtual concert and everyone, or if people should have um, their little happy hour kit that came in the mail with them. And so you have to be able to pivot and to swivel and to not be so stuck in your ways with things. Or you'll get left. Right. Exactly. 
Yeah. So what would you recommend to the leaders and marketers tuning in today to help them kind of bring this sort of fresh perspective to the work that they're already doing every day? Sure. Well, let's let's go back to Black Opal and because I, I feel like it's easier if I take an example as opposed to giving these generalities yeah. um, of something that it might be easier if we talk Black Opal, the makeup company. Uh, so when my partner, Cheryl Mary, Mayberry McKissick, and I bought the company, we felt that we had these amazing quality products that had been developed and the real potential was an expansion of those products to uh, based on what customers were asking for cleaner products um you know maybe some different ingredients in those products and maybe some products that we didn't currently have in the lineup was going to be important increased distribution was going to also be important because people were having trouble finding where we were sold and then most importantly we knew that we had to market the changes we were making and also market the product So the first thing we did is we did a study to identify what resonated with our existing customers and what resonated with potential customers. And so, you know, was it what we thought or was it something different? And some of the things that we, you know, thought were important, could be important was our price. You know, did it matter that it was now a minority and women owned business business? You know, did it matter that we, you know, all of our products were cruelty free? We found that that was on the lower end of the spectrum, believe it or not, still there, but price was really important. And so we began to think about, you know, how do we, we talk about price? And so now all of our messaging has, you know, BD under $20 um, in the paid ads, our search, our social, our email. Um, We also tested multiple messages. And so it's important that you say the same way in a bunch of different ways. And we found that people resonated more with black opal spelled out than the BLK OPL logo that we're, we're using. And, you know, that's like sometimes a big no, no, you got to use the logo. Well, if people don't understand it, you're just throwing money away. Mm-hmm. And so if you, you, we had six or seven messages that we tested in, um, in the social marketplace and came up with and found out, well, these are the ones that resonated. So then after our six-week test, we were able to go back in and put the real money behind those messages um, that really, um, really resonated with our customers. On our digital site, which is currently under renovation, we've done extensive research on the industry. What are others doing? What did their sites not only just look like physically, but what is the navigation of the consumer on those sites? You know, are they doing things that we should really be looking at to make that navigation um, easier? And so we created a couple of things, quick shop from a category page, more descriptive info on a category page, stickiness at the top navigation bar so users can go back and forth between their shopping cart and browsing. Nobody likes to lose everything that was in their shopping cart while they're browsing. Um, There are probably about 20 new changes that we're making to our website um, that we're going to launch. It's it's in progress now. So you see some of the pages, but not all of them because we didn't want to wait, but we'll continue to to feed in the, the new material into that website. But most importantly, we found a big gap in the AR um, uh, experience, um, the artificial um, experience, reality experience for women of color across beauty brands. Mm -hmm. And we said that we were determined to be best in class in, um, in that space. And so we're currently working on that. And the biggest thing, you know, with 
lots of women, but I think in particular women of color is finding that perfect foundation match. And so we're going to have three different ways that you can match your foundation. So we're not going to leave anything to chance. No one has all three different ways, particularly geared towards women of color. And if one of those three ways doesn't work, we're going to have someone on the line with you that is experienced in makeup for women of color to walk you through this. And so we really are really going to like focus on, you know, what we were told was one of the number one issues was finding my foundation and then also having a skincare products that focused on women of color and dealt with the issues that I have, you know, such as larger pores or oiliness or fading of dark spots, et cetera. We've hired an African-American dermatologist to work on all those products as well. And so I know I've gone through a lot, but you can apply that to anything. In summary, it really is, again, going back to listening to those consumers, taking a look at who you say you are and making certain that every step of the way you are marching to that that beat, looking at your competitors and looking to see, first of all, are there ways that they're doing things better that you could duplicate? And then how can you do it even better? What can you add on that would really make you, you know, even uh, better um, than, than what they're experiencing, you know, out there? And the process never ends. We recently did a pop-up in Chicago, a pop-up store, and I worked at the store both days and I was just delighted to just see, you know, how people were handling the product, how people were talking about the product, good and bad. It's always important to, if you can, try to experience what consumers are saying about your product and services. When I was at the um, gas company, I used to sit for hours in customer service, tied in with the customer service person, listening to the various calls on on service and just how we were handling uh, consumers as they were purchasing um, gas services, but also during emergencies and how we were handling that and was able to to learn a lot about how we could interface a little bit better with our consumers. That's incredible. So let's say that I lead a company and I know that I have a lot of things that need to change, right? There's a lot of gaps, some limitations. How do I start to prioritize all of that? Because you listed a lot and I feel like if someone <laughs> a smaller team or doesn't know where to start, it's easier to just kind of keep doing things the same way. What are those kind of critical next steps or how do I start to put this into action? Sure. I think the first question is, you know, what is your goal? You know, are you trying to grow? Are you trying to have existing customers buy more? Are you want existing customers to learn about new services that you have? You know, are you uh, trying to generate additional sales? You know, that's where that's the starting point, really, you know, because you can come up with all these ideas. But if they are not matched up to what it is you're trying to do as a company, then it's kind of a waste of time. So the first thing is a kind of getting buy in. If it's only you just get buy in in your own head as to what have you been brought in to do and didn't then getting an affirmation of that. You know, it was like I've been brought into, let's say, grow the business, grow this line of business. Okay, I have three ideas on how I might be able to grow this business. Let's prioritize them and because you can't do everything at once. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we go to the easiest thing. Well, what's going to give the most payoff, you know, is kind of a way to think about it as well. If it's super easy and you can get it done quickly, that's okay. But you need to look at it and prioritize it based on what that payoff is going to be. And sometimes we have to have patience. I mean, that is a big, 
thing that kills me because I always want things done yesterday. I'm like, why can't that be faster? Why aren't the developers working overnight? Why can't we get, you know, well, what does it cost? You've got to like, you know, kind of bounce, you know, think about all of those things. So the hardest thing really, if you're a doer, is to get that game plan. Because during the time that you're getting the game plan, you really don't feel like you're moving, but the game plan is going to serve you well. It's going to ensure that you're successful in terms of of doing the work that you need to do. So for me, the hardest part is the game plan Um, and not doing trying to do too much, you know, do it in stages, you know, so take one piece, you know, two pieces, three pieces, you know, or. Sometimes I like to get all the potential options of what I could do, but then prioritize them and take them one one at a time. Mm-hmm. That can be particularly important when you're working with a team because people do like to see some success. They do like to feel like they're not just spinning their wheels and just meeting over bunches of papers and nothing is is transpiring. But it's amazing what happens with a team when you see so, some success. Uh, very recently, we had a situation where one of our retailers invited us to increase the number of stores that we had. And when I took this internally, a number of you know the people that had to do it said, well, we can't do it that quickly. There's just no way. And I said, we can't do it perfectly that quickly, but we can do it. And I will deal with the fallout myself. And so we did do the project, lots of pain, lots of things that didn't go perfectly, but we won a thousand new stores after that. And I owe that all to them because they took a chance really on me internally that I would be able to handle the fallout and that I wouldn't be coming back and placing blame and saying, how come we didn't do this? What happened over here? And we just moved on. And they were inspired that they took the chance, did the work, wasn't pretty, but that we got a thousand new locations out of that retailer simply because we got it partially done in the time frame that they had asked for. Under normal circumstances, we would have just said we can't do it. Mm-hmm. Remember, I don't believe in can't either. <laughs> <laughs> we need to like send out a follow up. Like, There's oh, always a way. You just have to yeah. think. There's always a way. And most of the time, if you're honest about it, even though it's an ugly answer, people will meet you part of the way. And so that piece you thought was going to be a deal breaker, they'll say, okay, we can push that off a little. We'll take this piece first. You know, there's always a way usually to work it out. It's when you like hide the answers because you're so afraid to say like, oh, I can only deliver 50% of this. That's when you get in trouble. People don't like surprises. Absolutely. Yeah. Our director of strategic services, Jenna Kenley, always says like, you don't have to boil the ocean. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. Like, let's just take bite-sized pieces and let's see what we can get done. Exactly. Yeah. So switching gears a little bit, you did some incredible work within the Obama administration as White House social secretary. Can you tell us about the inspiration behind the People's House campaign and how the opportunity came about and the work you did there? Sure. So the People's House comes from Andrew Jackson's presidency, actually. He was the first to call the White House the People's House. And he had this big party where people brought their animals and and they did all this stuff and they kind of tore up the White House. But people felt like, wow, we have this opportunity. It's our house. And so I read about that and I was like, "Ah, we can't do that. But based on the um, goals of the Obamas when they took office, They really wanted people to feel like it was their house. They wanted everyone in this nation to have hope, everyone to feel like they were and are 
a part of American history and Americans and salute that and and that we're all prized prized um, people. There's no one group, you know, better than the the next group. And so that's how we came up with the fact that we should, in fact, have what we were calling the people's house. And so all of our um, our work was really on celebration of the American people, whether that be all of our types of music, that be acting, that be uh, poetry reading, poetry slams. We really kind of curated this really fun combination of entertainment and of experiences across a wide spectrum. We'd have, you know, historians come in to have lunch with the president and talk about all of the presidencies that they knew about and, you know, how that might be different than what he was thinking or he was doing. Because you needed to have some fun for him, him too, you know, or we would, you know, have school children come in from all across the country that were studying jazz and have them play with the Wynton Marcellus or, you know, great jazz, uh, other great jazz greats. And then at the end of the night, you know, have a, a concert with these jazz greats. But during the the day, they spent time in the different rooms in the White House teaching jazz students the jazz themselves, and ultimately they would pick a young student to play that evening with them. You know, or the Hispanic and Latin community, they had never performed as a group altogether with Puerto Ricans, um, uh, uh, Mexicans. We mixed everyone together. So we had Latins coming from California, from New York, from Florida and Texas all playing together, whether it was George Lopez or Jennifer, Jennifer Lopez, no relation, or Mark mm-hmm. Antony or Tina, um, who played the drums for, for Prince and her father, you know, just all of those different Latin nationalities all mixed together, saluting the first um, Latin um, Supreme Court Justice, Sotomayor. You know, it just, it was a magical evening. So everything was like really strategic and really thought out about how we could create these amazing salutes to Amer- the American people. Yes. So I know at Lev we have some Hamilton mega fans, and one event that you didn't mention was the one that you organized where Lynn manuel Miranda previewed um, what would eventually grow into his musical Hamilton. What was that one like? You know, that was a magical evening because it was a poetry slam. And so we had at the time, I believe it was uh, uh, Mr. Simmons had a, like a poetry slam TV show on at the time. And one of the finalists, the two finalists, which had not been announced, the two finalists had been announced on the show. One was from Hawaii. So we definitely had to have the one from Hawaii since the president was from uh, Hawaii. And so we had these young people doing these poetry you know, slams. We had James Earl Jones reciting Hamlet. And then we also had Hamilton. We all knew at that time, I can't say that we knew that it was, because we didn't know everything. We just knew the one the one um, uh, uh, song that he did. But we felt like we something was being created in front of our very eyes. And in fact, you know, some, some of the people in the audience gravitated to him. And this is how the whole thing started with Hamilton. And so that was the other part of what we wanted to do is we wanted to not only have uh, renowned artists there, but also new artists so that people could see their work and perhaps help them, you know, help them with getting that work off the ground. So that has to be our biggest accomplishment in that arena is, is Hamilton. And so we saw it first that night and we knew that this was going to be magic. Yeah, that's amazing. We didn't know that much magic, but 
<laughs> we were hearing something that was like very, very exciting and intriguing. And we were, we're so happy for him. Yeah. That is and his dad. We knew his dad was actually instrumental in us getting him to the White House because we knew the dad from Chicago. Okay, amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, as an account director, a big part of my role is really helping my clients to see past, you know, this specific project or this specific implementation, and get our heads above water to think big picture. And you said something in a previous conversation that really resonated with me, and I was hoping that you could expand on it here. And you, you mentioned that marketers need to have space to get out of the weeds and spend more time thinking strategically in order to stay relevant and to communicate with customers in a way that resonates. Do you have anything else that you want to add to that? Because I feel like a lot of our customers and attendees would really appreciate that. I think, you know, it's easy to get just swamped by all the data. It's easy to get swamped in the loudest customer, you know, the loudest complaint that you have. And sometimes we have to just kind of take a step back and really put all of that in perspective and think more globally about what it is we're doing. What is that product or service what is it really delivering to the end user? I keep going back to the end user, but I think that the end user is so important. When I think about clients, I think all clients want to win and all clients want to be competitive. So you have to stay true to the, the brand, but show them new ways to think about that brand and new ways um, to really reach out to that, to that, that customer. So I always try to think about, you know, if, a, if I'm talking to a client, you know, what, what role are they playing? What are they interested in? You know, how are they being judged? What does success mean to them? And how can I be a part of that success? How can I help to answer some of the things that they're struggling with? I may not be able to help with all of them, but I guarantee you, you might be able to help with one or two of them. And that just takes that off of their plate and makes it a lot easier for them to do that their work, the work that they're doing. Because sometimes we go in and we have our own ideas about something and we're not listening. We're not really focused on who it is we're talking to or what might be important um, to them. And so that's why I think it's always important to take a little bit of a breather and take that step back, get all your information, ask all your questions, but then think about it. You know, I, I often find find time to think about things in the shower or places that where you give your mind a break. Give it a rest. Just give it a rest. Don't try so hard. And then these brilliant things will come to mind. And you're like, ah, I could put that with this and this with that. And that is going to be an amazing thing. And so ideas, um, relief, um, having giving a client relief in terms of of helping them solve the issues that they're solving for. And sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes you may only have a partial answer, but that that's that's a I would say kind of something that I found to be really successful is when I put myself in that person's shoes. And sometimes when you do that, you will understand why they're saying the what they're saying. They may not even understand why they're saying what they're saying, but you will maybe standing outside of the role that they're playing and might be able to help them focus through what they what I uh, an answer might be. So if I'm always focused on products arriving on time, I might not see the real reason why they're not arriving on time. Hmm. You know, I may not have thought of that because I'm just so focused on getting them out the warehouse. Well, how did they come in the warehouse? Were they on time? I mean, I'm getting way in the weeds, but you know what I mean. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
And I love that it comes back to your previous answer too of studying and listening, you know, stepping up. Yeah, no, it's it's important. I mean, you, I, you know, people say, why are you wasting your time on that? You know, I don't believe any time that I'm putting towards something is wasting time. I go to all the retailer websites and look to see how our product is listed. And guess what? I found a lot of things that weren't right, <laughs> you know, and it's not because I'm like being a crazy person, but that's what the consumer is seeing. So even though maybe our internal team meant it to look another way, you know, well, it's not that way. Did anyone, you know, double check? You know, I, I, I double check all the time. I buy stuff from other places all the time on their websites to see how easy it was. Good. What did it come? What was the box that came in? Is this box the box that we've said should this should be in with this kind of note and this kind of information for the consumer? Is it? Yes or no. If it's not, I take a picture and I send it back to my warehouse and I say, hey, guys, you know, or just just different things. New products. Are they all up on the website? You know, so you just have to be diligent. But I always start backwards. I start from the customer and then go back. Hmm. You know, what are they seeing? How easy was it for them? You know, I try to play customer all the time. (laughs) I like playing customer. I like going into stores and buying my product, pretending I know nothing about it to see what people say, ask questions. You know, that's one of my favorite things to do that I haven't been able to do so much during COVID mm-hmm. is go out and be a customer in the stores, you know, and ask about them. How does this work? What do you know about it? Is this a good company? You know, so I'm a little bit of a maverick in that way, but Customer, 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 I think is key. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Switching gears just a little bit more. So we hear, especially right now, a lot of words like diversification and representation and inclusion. And one of my chief concerns is that they're turning more into buzzwords and really words that inspire action. So I know it can be challenging with this important work to really know where to start, but um, what advice or even tough love words of wisdom would you share with companies that don't know where to start when it comes to really making a difference um, with inclusion and diversity in our organization? Well, I don't know if it's tough love, but I, I think the first thing, this might sound tough and a little bit tough is, you know, do you want to do it or not? You know, as a company, as a person, whatever, do you want to, and when I say do it, do you want to be inclusive and diverse or not? You know, and so that's the first question that you have to ask yourself, not because it's in vogue or it's the right thing to do. Although if you don't think those things, you maybe need to catch up on your reading and maybe, you know, have someone kind of help you to understand why, um, um, diverse, being a diverse company and um, making certain that everyone feels comfortable expressing themselves and their ideas um, from a place of who they are, um, not just, you know, what they've learned in school, et cetera, is important. Um, and so that's the first question I, I would ask. If you're not quite sure, then you need to do the work to get sure. If you're sure, but just don't know what to do, which I hear often, is you you also have to do some research. And so, you know, I would start at the top. You know, what does your board look like? The board is really the the lead group that helps to run, helps the CEO run the company. 
not really run the company day to day, but helps that CEO, he or her, to think about the strategy of the firm and how how the firm is going to run overall. You know, how do we in- ensure that there's opportunity within the firm for all groups of people? You know, how do we take a look at what we've got today and where do we want to be? One of the things that I think is really important is that just as there are metrics for sales and growth, there should be metrics for diversity and that that should be measured and that that should be a part of the senior team's paycheck. And so when that becomes part of the paycheck and one of the things that people are rated on, they learn really quickly what needs to get done. You know, how do you interface to ensure that you, you know, are with the right groups or asking the right questions to get the employees and the talent that you need? So many times I hear people say, I don't know where to get the talent. The talent doesn't exist. There's no one out there. Not true. There's lots of talent, both women and minorities that is that are out there that are raring to go, raring to to, you know, to be a part of your team. So how are you looking? How are you making certain that they have those opportunities? And then most importantly, once they get there, how are you ensuring that they're supported and that they feel like they are part of the team and that they're not there just for window dressing? That's why I say at the very top, you've got to ask that question and be prepared. It's not always easy. It's not going to just be the same old, same old. And you've got to, you know, really take it on as, you know, it's the right thing to do. It's what we want to do. It's part of our company. It's part of our culture. And we really are serious about the work that needs to get done. What have you seen work for companies or do you have specific examples of when, you know, you do want to become more intentional with the hiring or promoting um, and work practices? One of the things I mentioned is this whole idea of measurement. And so, it's many times you'll see, oh, we've got all these minorities, but it's all grouped in with women. Divide it out. Let's see the women that you have. Let's see the minorities that you have. Let's see the types of minorities that you have. And then what levels are they at in the company? Mm-hmm. And if you've got gaps and pockets, then how are you working on that? You know, many times you'll see women and minorities. You might see a few here and there, but, but aggregated, you know, towards the lower levels of the, of the company. You know, who's being recruited into the company? You know, how are you thinking about recruitment in that next grouping of talent? And how are you working internally at your company to get that next level of women and minorities moved up in in the business? Who are you using to, you know, manage, you know, any um, capital that the company might have? You know, how are you using outside vendors, women and minority vendors? You know, are you measuring that? You know, are you only doing it in jurisdictions where it is um, required by any government accounts that you might have? Or are you truly working to enhance your your partners and ensure that you've got a wide variety of um, minorities and women uh, working with you in the business that you're doing? And then I think also most importantly is going back to, you know, how senior management is paid. That really works. Money seems to catch people's attention. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And I also think it's important, like with the hiring process, yes, but facilitating the right or creating the right environment once people are in, you know, you can hire as many diverse people as you want to, but once they're in, if they don't feel safe, then you're probably back at square one. Exactly. And so it's, again, that's part of the measurement, right? What's Mm -hmm. happening once people get in? Are they moving up? Are they stagnant? 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 Or are they just, um, 
you know, just staying in that same position? And are, are, are they leaving? You know, there's a lot of opportunity for talent. And so, you know, what's your turnover? Is it the same as, as you know, other, other groups in your firm? It just, you know, you, it is different. You know, uh, women are different. You know, men are different. You know, minorities are different. You know, and so just remaining open and constant in terms of ensuring that, um, you know, you're, you're creating an environment and you're creating a culture where people feel like they can participate in and do their best work. Mm-hmm. That's all anyone's asking for is the opportunity to do their best work. Yeah, I love that. I know we've touched on so much today and I feel like I could keep this conversation going forever, but I want to thank you for sharing such incredible insight for everyone that's been tuning in. And I do have one last question and it's more of a takeaway um, for everyone taking notes, but you're really known for being a bold visionary. So I'm curious how we can all be better visionaries for our brands and companies, no matter what level we're at. You know, I think we go back to where we started and being curious, you know, just asking questions and, you know, no, you know, it, it, it takes time. It takes expertise. It takes not throwing away what we talked about earlier. Those those times where things don't go your way. You've gotten something from that. You know, you you you've gotten something for your tool chest from that. And so. I would say is that don't let people just pigeonhole you into one way of thinking, you know, be broad in your, in your, um, your relationships. You know, sometimes people become so expert that it's so narrow that that's all they know. Talk to other people, you know, uh, uh, associate with people that maybe know a whole different or in a whole different industry than you're in. You never know. And ask the questions that you would ask in your industry of them, you know, never know what little nugget you might get, you know, what kind of information, something that they're doing differently that you can apply. I've always just been looking around. I mean, I did a lottery at the White House for the Easter egg roll. Well, that's clearly stolen from my lottery background, you know? And so don't be afraid to string things together that have been successful in other industries into a new industry. You know, don't be afraid of that. And don't be afraid to 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 call whoever you think you might want to talk to. It's so easy to interface with people now. Ask them for a Zoom call, you know, introduce yourself, you know. So don't be afraid of that. The worst that can happen is what? They say, no, I can't do it. So what? Go to the next person and ask them. So part of it is our own, um, you know, curiosity and search for knowledge. And then just thinking about just getting good at a couple of things, right? Saying, you know, I'm really good at this. And just not missing an opportunity to bring that information that you're really good at forward. That's what I, that's what I would say. Love it. I think we can end the conference right there. No, I'm just kidding. There's so much other um, great sessions to look forward to. I know we have our concert tonight, so don't forget about that at 7 p.m. Eastern. And Desiree, thank you so much again for this incredible conversation. I know everyone took a lot away from it. Thank you. And good luck. Be curious. Take a chance. That one line in the old coming to America, honey, take a chance. (laughs) Chance. You'll be great. I can just, I can tell. Just, just keep learning, keep sharing, keep asking questions. <laughs> Thank you again. I really appreciate Bye-bye, it. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Enjoy the rest of your day in conference. Mm-hmm.